This episode of Photo Talk was brought to you by the Create Photography Retreat. I'm so excited to be presenting again this year at the Create Photography Retreat here in 2020. It's being held in beautiful Greenville, South Carolina, October 15th to 17th, when all the fall colors will be breathtaking. Come join me and the others from the Master Photography Podcast Network in interactive hands-on sessions to make some serious progress towards mastering your photography. Brian just recently published the agenda for the retreat that provides a lot more information about what you can expect there this year. If you use the link in the show notes over at phototacopodcast.com, you can get 10% off the cost of your ticket. I would love to have you come and join me and see you there. Welcome to Photo Taco, the only show with photography tips you can learn in the time it takes to eat a taco, or perhaps a burrito. Photo Taco. Hey everybody, welcome into another episode of Photo Taco on the Master Photography Podcast Network. I am your host, Jeff Harmon. Thanks so much for spending a few minutes of your day with me. In this episode, I am going to attempt to definitively answer a question I have been asked many times over the years. And that is, what is the best way to configure and use external storage with Lightroom? You know, like external hard drives. Does it matter? SSD, spinning drives, what's the most performant way? I took one question that was a, a recent question here in January 2020 in the Photo Taco Facebook group that uh, is representative of hundreds and hundreds of you who have asked the same question. And I've given an educated guess on the answer, but now I've actually put in the time to test it. This question uh, that's representative of so many of you came from Laura Boswell on in, in the Photo Taco Facebook group, and she says, Hi, can you please point me to a podcast episode or a link that talks about setting up Lightroom with an external hard drive? I'm not sure where to put items, catalog, cache, backup of catalog images, originals from import, between my internal versus external drives for the most optimized use of Lightroom and opening up into Photoshop. Thank you. And I didn't have anything specific to point Laura to at the time. Gave her my brief, educated guess, but not something that I had actually specifically tested for. And that's what I've now done. So I'm going to review today some results. I'm going to tell you the best way, the most performant way to configure Lightroom and utilize external storage and internal storage and, and what's going to be there. First, though, I need to kind of talk a little bit about the test and what went into it. Um, I want to go through kind of the setup, the execution of the test, the compiling the results, and get, just share with you the results by the end. Most of you, I think, are going to be kind of interested in the gory details here. That's why you listen to Photo Taco. You like the geeky details that I get into. And so I'm, I'm going to geek out for quite a bit of time here, probably 45 minutes worth of geeking out. And, uh, and then I'm going to share the results in the end. So if you're really only interested or you only have time for the results and you want to get to the, the heart of the matter, maybe try going forward, I don't know, 30 minutes and check it or 45 minutes. I don't know exactly where it's going to end up, so I can't tell you in the audio. I will try to remember to put into the post when I post it in the Facebook group the time point at which you can go to if all you care about is the results. All right, so let's let's talk testing setup first. And the first thing to share about the testing setup was... I had to get through a lot of failures <laughs> before I arrived at the actual configuration of the testing that led to results I was happy with. Of the, I don't know, 50, maybe 60 hours worth of, of testing, the time I spent doing testing for this data, I think at least 20 of it was failures where the testing setup itself didn't work the way that I wanted it to. Um, as I was thinking about how I'm going to do this, not only this test, I, I have some specific tests here that we're going to talk about in detail, but in testing Lightroom in general, I, I've tried a lot of different things to figure out how am I going to monitor the hardware utilization and there's, there's challenges. There's lots of challenges that I went through. So I have four core requirements that I came to just thinking through the testing and based on the the other testing I've already done of on Lightroom that wasn't nearly as uh, scientific based or accurate as what I have from this testing. But uh, here's here's the four core things that I was wanting to make sure I had. Number one, it, the solution for monitoring couldn't use a lot of hardware resources itself. I tried a lot of tools now across things to try to, to monitor it. And of course, 
anything that's going to be monitoring the hardware is going to be impacting the computer. There's no way around that. I just want that footprint of whatever I'm using to monitor to be as tiny as possible. And I I'm pretty happy with the solution I've come up with, and, and I'll talk about that in just a moment here. Number two in the core requirements list was I need a solution that's going to work on both Mac and PC. Now, I am convinced that there isn't a dramatic advantage to either platform here in 2020. You should choose and use whichever one you prefer. It still really bothers me when people post in our Facebook group that they want help investing in a new computer and they say they prefer either Windows or Mac, whichever one. And people chime in and respond with like, why are you doing that? Windows is horrible or Mac is horrible and, and whatever the various reasons are for trying to say you should use the other one. It's not helpful to the people who posted their question. They're looking for help to buy the computer they prefer. And I try really hard, at least in the forums that I control, to limit that discussion because we want to be helpful to the people asking the question and the, the whole question of Mac versus PC, that's up to you. It doesn't matter. So I'm firmly convinced that either is can be a really good option and run Lightroom extremely well. There's pros and cons to both, but really comes mostly down to personal preference and you use what you're comfortable with. You use what you want to use. You need to be productive. Still, I want to test between both platforms. So to me, it's very important that I have something that is a cross-platform solution, a way that I can do the testing, compare the two, in case there is something where there is a difference between the two. I just don't expect it to be super meaningful, and that kind of bears out in the testing that I had today, but that's core tenant of my testing. Number three, um, I need to be able to record metrics for about an hour at least. And there were lots of solutions I was looking at that just wouldn't provide me that. There were lots that were visually based and that, you know, they're kind of fun to be able to watch as you're going, but it doesn't really help with accuracy to be able to have that. I need numbers. I need them for a long period of time because these tests, some of these tests took more than 30 minutes that I'm going to talk about today. Like just one part of the test. Okay, so I need to be able to record metrics for about an hour. And number four core requirement of my testing was those metrics need to be recorded to a file or a database of some kind. And it, so it, I guess going along with that, it, a frequent recording of the metrics and they need to be stored. So I can just like get actual numbers. I can do some averages and maxes and get some actual data that is helpful to this. So those are my four core things that I was looking for. And it was tough going through things. Where I ended up was uh, for this testing, and, and I'm open to suggestions. If those of you listening have suggestions on some other tools I should check out, good chance I actually already checked it out and eliminated it for one reason or another. But uh, here's where I ended up with the tools that I used in this testing. If you have a better idea, please contact me. Podcast at gmail.com would be a great way to send me that kind of feedback. But on Windows, and, and this is where I'm, I'm actually not super happy with it because I have to use a different tool on Mac and Windows for the monitoring itself. On Windows, I'm going to use Performance Monitor, or I did. I used Performance Monitor. That's a utility that comes with Windows, and uh, it actually works really, really well. I was... I was uh, I, I didn't have a ton of experience with this beforehand. It's not a super intuitive or user-friendly kind of tool. You definitely have to learn how to use it and, and what to do with it. But it, it actually it very much got the job done. So it was really nice to have for Windows. And then on Mac, I landed on iStats Menus. I was led to that from a lot of uh, other people who do performance testing and monitoring of hardware resources on Mac OS. And, and uh, this seems to be a really, really common tool. It does have more of a visual component, but it stores the data that is presenting visually to a SQLite database. So it's totally something I can pull off and query and, and pull the numbers, and it, it ends up being a really nice tool for it. There's lots of other kinds of tools that could be there. I mean, it's a full you know Linux kind of uh, operating system under the covers, and so there's lots of Linux-based stuff that I could use, but I, I decided that it was worth buying. I, I went and purchased iStats Menus to be able to track this. So those are the, that's the monitoring tool I decided to use. And then I, in the course of testing, uh, and I'll get to this in, in a moment, I decided that uh, screen video recording came, became a big deal too. So now I'll explain. Okay, now next I wanted to describe what features I thought would be most impacted by storage performance 
in Lightroom. So I have to limit the scope on my testing. I can't go test every single feature function in Lightroom Classic and, deter and see if storage has an impact. My experience with Lightroom provided educated guesses to me on what should be included and what should not be included as I went to do this test. A lot of the stuff in the develop module, for example, most of those sliders and things, I don't expect storage is really gonna play a major factor there. Other hardware resources, CPU, GPU, uh, RAM, those kinds of things are gonna be a vital or more important to the performance of, of the sliders in Lightroom or the, the tools in the, in the develop module than, um, than some others. So the, I ended up with coming with four and there's one that I kind of, I thought might have an impact, but I, I excluded just because of time. I didn't, I, I wanted to get some information. And so, so here's the four features that I went into it expecting to be impacted by the store performance of storage. And um, three of the four that ended up being right, one of them did not, and that was interesting to me. So kind of cool that the testing bore out that one of these just doesn't really seem to be dramatically impacted by performance. But I'll go. Th let's go through what the four tests were that I ran as part of testing impact of storage performance on Lightroom. So number one, this one probably is pretty obvious. It's probably where most of you would have started to, the import process, importing raw files in particular, and I knew this couldn't be just a few raw files. I needed a good number of them. I also didn't want to use just a single type of raw file. I had a suspicion that, or I expected, raw files are in, come in different sizes. And so I probably need to make sure I test different sizes of raw files and see if like the storage performance make plays a bigger factor when, because you have bigger raw files, that seems reasonable to me my educated guess that my hypothesis for that test that seemed like there was potential there so i have because of cameras i've rented and used in the past i have enough raw files from a sony a7r3 a fuji xt3 and canon 80d to be able to have those three types of raw files included in the test i wish i had nikon raw files i don't so i just didn't have them to use and if or and and other systems too, I, I would have loved to have s represented all of the system major systems that listeners use today, major camera platforms. But I don't have them. If you want to send me several hundred RAWs from your camera system to get them included in a future test, because I probably need them for future testing, I'd love to have that. And I will remember this as I do rentals in the future. I may go and uh, make sure I save off some of those raw files just for such performance testing. But this is what I had available to me. So that's what I had. I used 200 RAWs from Sony. I used 200 RAWs from the Fuji X-T3. So Sony A7R3, the Fuji X-T3. And then I used 300 RAWs from Canon, <laughs> from a Canon 80D. Not because I meant to. Um, that was a small mistake I made in this. I thought, so I, I pulled the RAWs from Sony, or sorry, I pulled, I used the Canon RAWs first. That was what I went to. That's what I have most of, of course. I'm a Canon shooter, so I have hundreds of thousands of Canon RAW files on my hard drives. And uh, so I had tons to choose from. So I decided to add the other ones later, and I, I pulled the 300 images from Canon. And then I thought I had remembered right. And when I went and I decided to pull the Sony and the Fuji RAW files from my hard drives from when I rented those cameras, I pulled 200. I just didn't remember right how many I had pulled. And I figured that out too late in the process. I already done a bunch of testing and I just hadn't put it together that 700 is not an even number for three. Anyway, it ends up being fine with the way I was able to pull the numbers and, and kind of figure things out here. But I really wish I had just had the same number of raw files. That would have been better for the testing, slightly better. Not, not didn't play a, a massive role. So number one was import. Number two, the second function, develop module scrolling. My educated guess and hypothesis was, I thought storage performance is going to impact this. This, what I mean by this is, and, and you might think um, it's some people will call it like develop loop view scrolling. So this is in the develop module having the photo your your photo shown 
almost full screen, right? It's, it's as big as Lightroom will show it, where you're going to have potentially the film strip at the bottom and stuff on the left and right and title bar at the top. But your one photo that you're on um, that you have chosen in the film strip is shown front and center there as big as Lightroom can, given the screen real estate you've got. So that's, it's going through that and um, scrolling to the right, hitting like the right arrow key on the film strip so that I can move from the first photo to the second photo, waiting for the histogram to update, to refresh. So I know Lightroom has read the raw file or read whatever data it needs and uh, and is updating the histogram. And this is without any previews built. Now get to a second kind of another reason why I did that, but I wanted to have it trying to having to go and, and be forced to access either the raw file or uh, using the metadata that it pulled if it gave you that. But whatever it was, whatever Lightroom's doing there, and I expected the performance of the disk to impact this. So waiting for that histogram to update ended up being a really good way to be able to know that Lightroom has fully loaded that file before moving on to the next one. And I, I kind of originally thought, well, actually what I'm gonna do is scroll through this. I'll hit that right arrow until I see that little loading dot 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 icon that you will see if you scroll through really fast in the develop module sometimes lightroom will will just tell you like this is taking long enough i'm going to say i'm still loading the photo hold on um it turns out that that as i did the testing that message just didn't come up that much even the way that i did it i kind of expected it would but it didn't so the histogram refresh watching when that histogram actually refreshed that that was a really good indicator that lightroom had fully read the file that i was looking at and um and i could you know i was getting an accurate depiction of everything on the screen and then i could move i could safely move to the next photo so that's what i was doing going as fast as i could waiting for that histogram to refresh between each one and and i did see times as i was doing the testing where Lightroom took a little longer to load that histogram, to refresh that histogram than some other times. So I think it was a very valid test and I'll share with you whether or not the storage performance had an impact there. I expected it to. Third thing to test, uh, building one-to-one -one previews. I thought for sure this would be impactful. I mean, you're reading the raw, you're asking Lightroom to read the raw files from your file system and build those one-to-one -one previews that can help cache things and make it so that a lot of other features and functions in Lightroom will go faster. If there's good reasons to build raw files, I also knew it was horribly slow as a process and I separated it from import because I wanted, I wanted to get that data import. I wanted to be separate than building the previews. And uh, that's going to be borne out in the results and, and some interesting numbers there and something that I, I think may open up a lot of uh, a lot of you listening, it'll open up your eyes to something that you probably are going to want to change in your workflow. Um, so I, what I, I I wanted to test that I wanted to test it separate from smart previews too, just to have the two numbers out. So that was the fourth thing that I decided to include in this round of testing, and that's building smart previews for all 700 raw files. I'm going to build. I was going to build the previews, and I wanted to do that in two independent tests, two independent steps. And so those were the four things that I took an educated guess on, had a hypothesis where the, that the storage would impact those things. And that's what I decided to, to include in this round of testing. Some of you familiar with Lightroom, you may have expected or thought, hey, what about export? Export's a big deal. You're probably reading the raw files and processing them according to like, you know, all of the things that you've done in Lightroom and then writing it out, writing out JPEGs in particular usually, but maybe TIFFs or some other format, writing those out to a disk that seems like read and write performance of the storage may have an impact there. And why didn't you do export? Okay. And I, I guess I do expect that there is some impact to the performance of storage on the export feature. I, I expect yeah, if I use an SSD drive as the source and the destination, maybe even two different SSD drives to optimize things as much as I can, that may have an impact. I just don't expect it to be as big an impact as CPU. Um, based on other testing I've done before this that wasn't nearly as scientific, I didn't do nearly the metrics or effort that I did in this testing. Uh, I didn't expect that the the storage to be like the most important factor where I think storage plays it, it may not be the most important factor in factor but it's 
probably a really big one on the four features that I tested here. That was my hypothesis and educated guess on things. Um, I, at some point, hope I'll to, to try to test out. But another thing that gave me confidence here was uh, a blog post you can check out in the show notes. I'll have a link to it from my friends over at Puget Systems. They have a, a blog post where they compare the Intel Core X1000 versus the AMD Threadripper third generation is a latest one from November 2019. They did some exhaustive testing way better than I was able to do here with Lightroom Classic and the exports features in particular. And they really point out how the CPU makes a massive difference. So I, I just, I expected the CPU to be more important by a long margin on export and decided not to include that in this testing. I just, I have to limit the scope. I don't have so much time, people. <laughs> so hopefully you're okay with that. And again, that makes sense. All right, now I mentioned a little bit that I recorded video of these tests and I didn't intend to do that going into the testing. I had my four criteria of the things that I thought were super important as a testing setup for not only this test, but future tests I plan to do with Lightroom Classic. But I, in the course of doing some initial testing and watching status bars in Lightroom, you know, the, the, these are the things in the upper left-hand corner of the screen, especially when you're doing, when you're doing the import task, when you're doing the previews building, there's in the upper left hand, there's like the, the, the by default, there's a light room or your name is shown in the upper left um, when you're logged in these days with a subscription in the Lightroom. You, you have that and then there's a drop down thing. And if you hit that, when there's a long standing task running like import or like the preview building, it shows a status bar there, a task bar, a, a little status thing that shows the progress. And it even shows like which photo it's working on right now of the 700 raw files, how many of them have gone through import or how many of them have gone through the preview building. And so uh, there was a very visual way to see when tasks are done. So my challenge, one of the challenges I had in the testing was I was planning to use a stopwatch and watch those status bars to know, like I'll hit start on the stopwatch as soon as I hit the button on import or hit the button to the menu option to build the previews. And then I'd stop it as soon as that status bar said the task was completed. And uh, that would work, that would get me pretty accurate times. So long as I would actually be able to like stay focused and watch those status bars where they're going. But uh, it just was so tough to stay focused. Some of these tests took 30 minutes. And, um, and some of them took less than that. So it would, it would just be like really hard for me to be able to not think I just can't sit here and watch the status bar go. It's like watching paint, right? It's just, or grass grow. It's hard to stay focused. And I kept missing on the stopwatch and I could try to guess a little bit. And I just thought, man, if I could just record the video of the screen and then I, I'd be able to like get exactly when it started and when it stopped, like frame by frame, I'd be able to get this. And that would be really awesome. So that I, even if I missed it by a little bit, like if I went and did something else while I, while this was running, that would enable me to multitask better and, and not have this take so much of my time because I could do something else while the test was running. So I'd like, how can I do this though? Cause every screen recording thing I've ever used ha takes up a huge amount of CPU and, uh, and GPU even. And, and there's just a dramatic impact, a, a horrible cost to running screen recording software that I have used in the past. OBS is the free one that I've tried a lot and, and it has its place. It does a, a good job for what it does. There's others, uh, Windows, Mac, they both have screen recording software and I just, I tried those. They're just to, were too intensive, but I thought this would be the perfect thing though. If I could get this, this would make my testing so much more productive. Then not only would, would it make my, my start and stop times more productive. I mentioned that I have these different numbers of raw files. Those status bars show what photo they're on. So I could watch. And when it got through 200, I know that it's done with the Sony raw files at that point. And when it goes from 201 to, to 300, I know that those are the Fuji raw files, just based on the order of, of how things were coming in as I was using this and, and 300 can. So I could actually f figure out the times of each of the raw files too, 
very accurately after the fact, and I didn't have to pay full attention to this during it. So it was a perfect solution if I could just find something that would be able to record the screen while I was doing it. And it turns out there is something. <laughs> I went to Facebook and Twitter and I asked, because there's so many people, so many of you out there have really good ideas and exposure to stuff. And I, I put it out there. I was like, hey, I'm really needing something that will do this. Anyone have any ideas of how I can do this? I, the vision I had was, man, do I need to invest in like a, an HDMI splitter so that I can get uh, a hardware recording device in between the computer and the monitor and uh, and be able to record the video that way, which would be very expensive. Something I, w I wasn't... And, and there were some fairly inexpensive things, but... I didn't know how well they work. People, a lot of people would have, there'd be a lot of uh, reviews saying, yeah, this thing didn't work. And it, I couldn't do probably 4K video, which is another thing I want to do. Uh, just, it was a mess. So, so I, I put it out there and sure enough, my good friend, Steve Razzle, also host of the Behind the Shot podcast, which if you haven't checked out, you really need to. Uh, he suggested I take a look at something called NDI. I'd never heard of this before. I am kind of green when it comes to video stuff or live video. I just haven't done much of it. Don't have a lot of experience. And uh, it turned out this is a really cool solution to the problem. It is very low footprint, as low as you can get it. Of course, it's a little bit more than the monitoring I was doing, but it's, it's extremely low and allows me to be able to make this very practical. It's a little utility you can run on the computer that is where you're doing the testing that, that exports or, or sends, transmits all of your screen. You can, you can try to do part of a screen, but that takes even more resources. So it's very simple for it to add your full desktop, whatever you're seeing on your computer over the network to another computer where you can record it, which is what takes more of the resources. That's, that's the more resource in, intensive part of the process is the actual recording part. So you can run the NDI tool, which is totally free. This little utility, it's available for both Mac and Windows, which is awesome. And I could then use another computer to record and use OBS there and record stuff. So it works out really, really beautifully. And I, I love it. It was awesome. And it enabled me to really get exact times on things here that I'm, I'm confident were the actual times that these things took. And that's what we we're mostly worried about with these tests, right? Just with the different storage options, was there less time for these tasks? Did it go faster so that I could get it done? Beautiful, beautiful solution. Thank you so much, Steve Razzle, for, for helping me with that. I really appreciate it. Okay, I'm going to talk about the uh, the storage configurations I used, I, what kind of storage I decided to test, and I'm going to talk about the hardware I used in the testing. But first, I need to thank a sponsor for this episode, a brand new partner that's come on to Photo Taco. I'm so excited about. We've talked a lot about Lightroom already in this episode, but I want to tell you about uh, a partner who's, who's made it possible in Flurn.com. I get contacted super regularly by marketing departments from various photography podcasts because they've seen that Photo Taco Nation, you're a big group. <laughs> There's a lot of you listening and they want to reach you. They want to be able to have me ha uh, tell, ask you to support the show by supporting this partner. And most of them I honestly turn away because either I don't believe in the product or I, I don't want to make it into something where I am I'm being sponsored by a brand or a product that I just don't believe in. But when Flurn reached out, I was super excited. My friend Aaron Nace and the folks over at Flurn.com, they produce video training for Photoshop. I just can't recommend strongly enough. It is incredible. Aaron, he's forgotten more Photoshop than I've ever learned. And a huge portion of what I know about Photoshop has come from the video training I have taken over at Flurn.com. Aaron is truly a Photoshop master. But even more important to me, he's a really good teacher. I've rubbed shoulders with a lot of people who know Photoshop really well. They usually have a hard time teaching it, even though they know it really well. Aaron knows it, and he knows how to teach it, and he makes it fun. Included in a year subscription to Flurn.com is instant access to over 150 in-depth video tutorials, and they are not done there because they're adding two new pro tutorials every month. It is incredibly priced at only $99.95 per year. I, really, that is a steal for training and investing in yourself as a photographer. 
that is a tiny price to pay. The annual subscription is an absolute steal, but you can get 20% off as a Photo Taco listener by going over to flirn.com and using Photo Taco 20 at checkout. I love flirn.com. I know you will too. If you've been afraid of Photoshop, this is the solution. Head over to flirn.com, use coupon code PHOTOTACO20 to get 20% off that first year. And I want to thank flirn.com for helping to make this episode possible. Come on, Photo Taco Nation, show them some love <laughs> and you won't regret it. All right, let's move on now to storage configurations that I decided to test. This could have been a lot of different things. There's a lot of ways you can configure storage. We could get into uh, RAID systems too, but I'm not going to. The question that Lara asked was specific to external drives. That's not RAID. In my in terminology-wise, I'm assuming that's not RAID. She wants to know mostly about the difference between external SSD and external spinning magnetic drives. You know, the, the older style stuff that uh, that is less expensive, but it's slower. We know it is. That's just how it works. And uh, and so many of you have had the same question. Now, she also want included in there, like, where should I put my catalog? Where should I put my cache? Where should I put my photos? Where should I put my backups? I'm going to eliminate a couple of those variables uh, just because they don't impact performance. Uh, the cache, I don't think it matters where you put the cache. I did some initial testing. I didn't see dramatic enough results to have it be an yet another variable in the testing of what that I'm doing. I have a lot of variables here and I need to control the number of them because it can spin out of control. The more variables, the more testing you have to do and it's, it's awful. So I decided I'm gonna just worry about where the catalog's located and where the photos are located. And if you're newer to Lightroom and you don't know the difference between those things or what it is, then go check out, go like search catalog, go to phototacopodcast.com, search catalog. I have some other episodes where I talk about that. Um, and I'm not gonna worry about backup storage. That's not gonna really affect performance so much as it's gonna be a, a good practice of where to put it. And I've talked about that in backup stuff before too. So go search backup and you'll find a lot of recommendations for info at, over at phototacopodcast.com for that. Okay, so cat, uh, catalog and storage, that's, that's the biggest deal. And then the different combinations I thought would be important to you listeners that most of you are probably having to weigh decisions between. There's six different combinations that I thought would be important in this testing, okay? So here are the six combinations of where your catalog and your photos could be that I thought I should test. So the first one would be a catalog on the internal SSD drive. Most of you listening will have computers that are new enough. You know, within the last five, 10 years, everything has maybe even 10 years, I don't know, uh, recent. If you have a fairly recent computer, you probably have an SSD drive that came in the computer that you bought. And so catalog being located there on the hard drive inside your computer, it's probably an SSD. Then having your photos be on an external SSD. That's a very likely scenario. It's something that I've been telling you uh, after you hit run out of storage on that first on your internal SSD, because they're, they're pretty small inside your computer, going to an external drive SSD, that, that's an obvious test. That's going to be something that probably is going to be performant too, I, I would guess. My hypothesis was that would be good. Number two, again, catalogs on the internal drive of your computer, the SSD, and your photos now on an external spinning drive. So what will be the difference in performance when you don't use an SSD for your photos? You are using a spinning drive that is slower. We know they are. Number three, catalog on the external SSD, so no internal SSD usage at all, catalog on the external SSD and photos on the external spinning. Number four, catalog on the external spinning, photos on the external SSD, is that faster? And number five, catalog and photos on the same external spinning drive, which is the least expensive option, one that I think a lot of you are probably using, and so I need numbers for that scenario to determine like how much faster or slower is it? We'll see. And number six, catalog and photos on the same external SSD. Everything external, one single drive, SSD, how does it compare? All right, so those are the six combinations. It's a lot of combinations to test. 
it's a lot of combinations and a lot of variables that I needed to go through. I knew it was going to take some time, but those were the things as I was approaching answering this question, I thought that's the kind of test I want to run. I think that'll be a, a more definitive answer on that test. Okay, so now hardware that I was using in this testing. Um, the drives. Let's talk about the drives first. Uh, unfortunately, it just didn't work out. I, I'm so disappointed. I ended up having a problem. And I'll tell you about more about it in a second, but I'm not gonna be able to share Mac results. I'm sorry, everyone. I, re I let you down. <laughs> I feel terrible. I really wish that I could do it, but I don't have Mac results. So I only have three drives that I'm going to, that I used in the testing I'm going to talk about today. Uh, I ran into a testing issue that prevents me from being able to, to share the Mac results. I intend to fix that issue and address it and update this information, at least in the blog post that will go in the show notes that go along with this episode. I will make sure to let everyone know when I do that. But anyway, here's the three drives then that I actually used in the testing. Uh, the first is my internal SSD in my Windows computer is a Samsung 860 Evo. And um, I have the crystal disk mark tests of how fast those were as I did this testing. And it's insanely fast. <laughs> it's insanely fast. So uh, for the for sequential read writes, I mean, it's up to like 7,000 megabytes a second on read and 6,000 write. And for 512K blocks, it's uh, like 6,000, almost 7,000 read and almost 6,000 write. For 4K blocks, it goes down to 600 read and 370 write. So, but it, it's really fast. It's a very, very fast drive. It's connected via SATA. This is not an M.2 connected device. So there's probably even faster devices that are available, but that's this is the one I had available. Super fast. It was definitely the fastest disk that I had available for my testing. So that was included in, in things here. Uh, number two, the second drive was an external SSD is one that I love. I've mentioned it so many times over at Master Photography Podcast. These devices are awesome. If you don't have one, I would, you know, find, go, go figure out how you can get one budget for it. Get with these. They're, they're incredible, incredible devices. I can't recommend them strongly enough. That's the SanDisk Extreme Portable SSD. And they're much more reasonable rates. Although I have to say this was connected via USB 3.0. The device is capable of USB-C connection for Thunderbolt um, access. It is faster doing it that way, but for my testing and what I'm going to share today, the read and write speeds are about 400 read, 400 megabytes a second read and write. Still pretty fast for a USB 3.0 connected device. In fact, compared to the spinning drive, which is the last one that I used, the external spinning drive is a Western Digital My Passport, also USB 3.0 connected, the same USB 3.0 port, and it drops like a quarter. It's about a hundred maximum, a hundred megabytes a second read write speed. So a very big difference in the performance of the storage, which is what we needed to know. Does the performance of the storage matter for these tests? That's the biggest deal. And so um, I don't expect that it's a big deal, whether it was Thunderbolt or not. And and we'll get to kind of, of why you'll, you'll see why that is in, in just a minute. Okay. So the computers that I used, I wanted to use my 2018 15-inch MacBook Pro that has a six-core Intel Core i7 CPU that uh, goes 2.2 gigahertz and bursts up to like 3.3 uh, with 16 gigabytes of RAM, and it has both an Intel UHD 630 graphics built into the CPU, or optionally let it use the Radeon Pro 555X, 555X GPU. It just rolls off the tongue, right? Um, but I just, I can't give you those results. I did do the testing. I can tell you definitively for sure. It wasn't dramatically different using that Mac, um, in the same testing. I did do the test. I ran through them all. I just had a problem in, in the video that I'll tell you. Um, my other computer was the 2014 custom built windows computer that I have that's running a four core I seven 4770 K CPU. 
uh, overclocked and water cooled to be running at 4.3 gigahertz. It has 32 gig of RAM, so twice the amount of memory, but memory was not really a big deal with these tests. Uh, it wasn't constrained by memory with 16 gig, would have been, was just fine. Uh, it also has the NVIDIA GeForce GTX 1060 GPU. GPU did not play a role in these tests, I can tell you that. And I was running Windows Pro 1903 at the time and uh, Windows 10 Pro 1903. All right, so those that was the testing. Oh, by the way, the I, cha I had the display be the same too. It was the same uh, 2K display. I didn't use the 4K display for this. So it's a, a 2K display screen real size. And uh, so that wouldn't be a difference in any of these tests either because that can change how this works. So I made sure that it was the same between the both. All right, so the bad news about Windows only and why that's a, a thing here. I'm really super excited about this screen capture method so I can nail down the exact times of the tests. I think NDI is gonna be the perfect solution there. I'm gonna use OBS to record the screen on another computer. I think that's the perfect solution there because the cost is right. Um, but here's the problem. Something I didn't really realize until I was like all the way done with the Mac testing and I was a couple of tests in on Windows. I mentioned how I'm, I'm, I'd be able to multitask this way, right? I'd be able to go and do some other things while the tests were running. So at one point, Mac tests are all done. I've already recorded them and I'm doing the Windows test. I decided to use the Mac or actually it was a third computer. On a third computer, <laughs> I loaded up the files, the, the video files that I recorded from the Mac stuff. And I was attempting to go look frame by frame, see when did I start, when did I stop? And... I couldn't actually make it work the way I need to. And so what I discovered was MKV files, which kind of the, that's what OBS pushes you to when you're recording because it, it it's a really good format for streaming recording to a, a drive. Um, and then you can set it up to Remux automatically to MP4, which is a, I wasn't, I knew MKV was going to be a challenge. Most of your NLEs video editing software doesn't let you do that. And I knew that was going to be a problem. So I, I knew I, I really wanted to, make, to use MP4. I thought that'd be great. But it turns out MP4 isn't great for doing frame by frame analysis of anything. It's a, it's a really good format for being able to like release video and have it be the final format. But frame by frame, it's, it's not good. It has something to do with like indexing capabilities of the video container that's part of the file format. I don't know, I'm not a video expert, not a video guy. So this was a challenge to me. What I discovered was much better was MOV files that you can have OBS record. It works the same on Windows and Mac. That allows you to do the frame by frame analysis that I needed in like Premiere Pro. That's what I'm used to. I tried some others too, some other software to see if there was another solution and it just didn't work well. And it, it meant I couldn't go through the video and pull the times the way that I need to. And it was just taking too much time to work through it. Um, so I, I just didn't have the Mac stuff that I needed to be able to give you the times ready for this episode. So I'm sorry. I, I know I failed. <laughs> I hope you'll forgive me. But trust me, I know it's just a trust me thing. But trust me, the results were not dramatically different. Even though that Mac has Thunderbolt ports that can get a little bit faster storage, it wasn't like magnitudes of order difference in the testing. It would have been slightly different. Of course, it's a different machine, different, different hardware. It would have been different. The numbers would have been different, but not like so different that it would be a problem. Plus I'm using averages a lot here in the numbers to be able to tell you some averages um, for performance. So it's, it's, it's all fine. I think I will do better in the future. I've got it figured out. I know what to do now. I've got the test set up totally figured out. So, so there you go. All right, let's get to some results now. Finally. Okay. Let's, let's finally go get to some results. So here are the results that I have. Number one, let's do the first step then is import. And uh, I guess I, I, before I get into the actual numbers, I do need to say I did make sure to restart Lightroom. And, re, you know, I, I did this whole process. I went from one to two to three to four in order in this process, which means it did reset like the memory utilization of the computer. In some cases, I even restarted the computer when I remembered to do it. I'm going to try to be more disciplined on that in the future just to make sure we reset everything. Plus, I made sure to shut down all of the rest of the stuff that was running on the computers. Think of all the utilities that you've loaded on there that are running all the time that can take CPU and memory and, and network. And I shut down everything so that only the core OS and Lightroom and the NDI tool and the performance monitoring tool were running. 
and limiting, you know, as much as I can so that only that Lightroom can like spread out, <laughs> get comfy and use as much of the hardware as was available on the computer to, to go. So, all right. So I, I would do import fresh catalog. This wasn't like a, a catalog that I already had. I would do a fresh catalog with every one of these tests so that I knew I was starting from nothing and uh, I was getting raw results. This is totally clean, the best that I could figure out to make it. So import fastest option. The fastest is catalog on the internal SSD and photos on the external SSD, which is kind of what I expected. I thought that would probably be the very fastest. Now, here's the interesting thing and, and something that you should think about as you think of your own workflow. It was one minute and 58 seconds to do that. That was all one minute and 58 seconds to do an import of 700 raw files. How long does it take you to import your raw files? And it's because I'm telling you, it's because you're doing this wrong. You're using Lightroom incorrectly. Adobe is doing themselves a massive disservice because they don't make it clear that there's an option to make import work so much faster. And they are encouraging you to build all of these previews. And that adds so much time. And we'll get to that when we get to those results. It's, it's a real problem. So one minute, 58 seconds was the fastest second. And that was catalog on the internal SSD, the hard drive inside your computer, and the photos on the external SSD. The second place was catalog and photos both on the external SSD. It was only 3% slower and it was two minutes and two seconds. So we're, it was only four seconds difference. Third was the catalog and the internal SSD and photos on the external spinning. It was 11% slower, took two minutes and 11 seconds. Fourth place, catalog and the external SSD and photos on external spinning was 17% slower than the fastest at two minutes and 18 seconds. Fifth place was catalog external spinning and photos external SSD. That took two minutes and 29 seconds. It was 26% slower than the fastest. And last place, very predictably, catalog and photos on external spinning, 47% slower than the fastest, but still only two minutes and 53 seconds to import 700 raw files. So not, not bad at all for 700 raw files. That's a pretty good deal. Interesting side note, and I, I, it was interesting across all of the tests, not something I really expected. Uh, I did, I thought there might be a chance it would play a role, but it ended up being different than I thought. It, I, I had the different raw types, right? Sony raw files the, the, from the A7R 3 on average, they were about 42 megabytes in size. Fuji raw files on average were about 31 megabytes. And Canon, the ADD raw files that I used, were on average about 23 megabytes in size. So I did kind of expect, well, the, the Sonys are much bigger. Maybe on import or through these tests, the storage performance is going to make a bigger difference for those than it does the others because they're bigger raw files. They're physically larger files that Lightroom has to load and process. So let me give you the average times per photo for import. And I'm going to do this across all the tests. For Sony... On average, across all of the tests, so this isn't just one of the tests with one of the drives co configured, this was a, the average across all of them. It took about 0.18 seconds to import a single Sony RAW file in the tests. Fuji was 0.27 seconds. They were slower than Sony, even though the, the file size was smaller. That shocked me, did not expect that. Canon, 0.18. So what that what I you can take away from that test was there is something Lightroom has to do bigger on Fuji raw files. They took 33% longer to import than the Canon or Sony files, which took the same amount of time, even though there was a big difference in file size of those raw files. Really interesting. I did not expect that at all. Fuji raws took longer to import. Yet another reason Fuji people, <laughs> Fuji uh, photographers probably don't want to use Lightroom for, for doing their, their photos. Um, okay, number two, let's get to the next test. Dev scrolling. Remember, this is going as fast as I can from photo to photo in the develop module with the photo showing as large as I can get it and waiting for the histogram to refresh before I can hit the right arrow and move to the next photo. So that's going. It turns out, I don't think 
the performance of storage has much of anything to do with doing that, with scrolling through the develop module. Um, apart from one of the tests where it might have played a role and it was an outlier enough, I think I need to throw out the results. and I got to do that test again. I didn't realize it until I was compiling all the testing data together. I was like, this is such an outlier. I think I've got to redo the test. It just doesn't seem right. I need to validate this is legit. So here's the, it was a five-way tie for the fastest. Dev scrolling through 700 raw files, going as fast as I can, but waiting for that histogram to refresh was six minutes and 32 seconds. That was way faster than I expected it to be. I thought that was going to take a lot longer, but they were all really close to being that tie, all within the margin of error. It's as a human person eyeballing when that histogram refreshes and hitting the right arrow. So six minutes, 32 seconds. Um, they were all really, really close to that. The slowest one and such an outlier, I just don't think I can include it in the test yet until I validate it. That was the catalog on the external SSD and the photos on the external spinning drive. And that was 16 minutes. 59% slower. I have a theory as to why that might be. I think there's something I discovered about my Windows computer and the specific USB port I was using. I think it caused a problem. And so I I don't think it's legit. I think you have to throw that data out and it's not something I, I think I can include in the test. So averages, let's, let's go to the averages here. Just it, And it, it really illustrates that I don't think it's dramatically different uh, the performance of the disk really uh, helps or contributes or hinders anything here. Um, across the other tests, the other five tests that I think are legit, the Sony was 0.57 seconds per file that I scrolled through. Fuji 0.58 and Canon 0.56, all within margin of error where there was no difference between them. I just don't think the storage has an impact. I think there was another issue that caused the one test to be much slower than the others. And if I do it correctly, or when I redo it, I expect they're all going to be the same. So I was shocked. I thought dev scrolling, my hypothesis was we're reading raw files here, especially if you didn't build previews. If you didn't already build the previews, I thought Lightroom's going to have to go ask that raw file every time for metadata and information. And it's going to be tough for it to be able to keep up. But I did do the embedded preview workflow, which means it pulled the JPEG previews out of the images that uh, that out of the raw files as part of the import process in that, you know, under three minutes that it spent to do that. Um, it just didn't matter. The dev scrolling performance doesn't seem to be impacted by storage performance. Just interesting to me. They were all about the same. All right. Number uh, three, third test, one-to-one -one previews. Very fastest here was... Uh, the catalog and photos on the same external SSD. It was interesting to me that internal SSD to external SSD wasn't faster. I expected that, but in this test, that wasn't true. That took 27 minutes and 10 seconds. Now, this is where I want to point out, if you're building those one-to-one -one previews and Lightroom like defaults to that pretty much, pretty close, uh, you are wasting a huge amount of time on imports, especially if you're going to not actually edit a whole bunch of those photos. If you're like me and you go do a shoot, you're taking a ton of photos, you're not actually going to edit. You want to have a bunch of frames to choose from, but you're going to pick the best one. You're going to edit the best one of a bunch of different poses or the same scene or something like that. You're not going to edit every single photo you shot. And if you're building one-to-one -one previews on import for all the photos you shot, you're wasting a lot of time, a ton of time. 27 minutes and 10 seconds was the fastest that this went for building one-to-one -one previews. Um, the time, just interesting information that you thought you'd like. Sony, nine minutes and 52 seconds for building one-to-one -one previews for their 200 raw files. Nine minutes, 52 seconds. Fuji, 10 minutes, seven seconds. So again, Fuji is slower than Sony, even though the files are different, you know, Sony's files are bigger. Fuji files, it took longer to build the previews. Canon was seven minutes and 11 seconds. So it was the fastest of the three. Um, that's just a long time. Embedded preview workflow is the way to do this. Do the imports without building those huge previews. Do your culling. You can even do it in the dev module. That was only six minutes, 32 seconds to go through all 700 raw files. 
and then go back and build the previews after you have culled and now and build it only for the photos that you're actually going to edit. That's great. Slowest option one to one previews was the catalog on the external SSD and the photos on the external spinning. It was 18% slower and that's 33 minutes and nine seconds. So 18% slower anyway. Across all the tests then, the averages, the average time per image. For Sony, it was three minutes and 48 seconds. For Fuji, three, oh, sorry. Yeah, three minutes and 40, no, sorry, three seconds. 3.48 seconds per image, not minutes. 3.48 seconds per image, 3.55 seconds per image for Fuji and Canon, 1.53 seconds dramatically faster. Canon was, Fuji and Sony are within margin of error, I think, on this. Um, Canon was 60% faster to be able to process those RAW files and build the one-to-one previews, which was really interesting. I didn't really expect that, that it would be that big of a difference. And uh, so a lot of times, as I've talked about how Lightroom just doesn't feel as slow to me as a lot of other people think it is, or they feel like it's slow. Maybe this is a part of the reason for it was, it just Lightroom is better built or capable of processing the raw files to produce these previews than Sony and Canon or Fuji. It's, I didn't expect that either. That was that was really interesting to me. If you're a Canon shooter, that might mean that's that's why your Lightroom experience might be a little better than some others. Okay, last test: smart previews. The fastest was a two-way tie, and it makes total sense. The catalog and photos on the same external SSD and the catalog on the internal SSD and photos on the external SSD. So it's all SSD. It's whether there's a combination of internal SSD or not for the for the catalog. Um, both of those took eight minutes and 48 seconds right on the nose. Like there's no saying within margin of error. They were exactly the same. And the same for the slowest two, which was when you have the photos on the external spinning drive. So the slowest two were the tie, catalog, external SSD, photos, external spinning, and catalog photos, same external spinning. They tied as the slowest, 22 minutes and 32 seconds. It was 61% slower to build smart previews for those 700 raw files when I used, and when the photos were located on an external spinning drive. So that's... Uh, a lot slower, a lot slower. You're, you're definitely paying a penalty for storing your photos on an external spinning drive when it comes to building smart previews. The averages, by the way, across all the tests, not just the fastest and slowest, was Sony was 2.44 seconds, Fuji was 1.39 seconds, and Canon was 0.51 seconds. So Canon was 63% faster. Lightroom built smart previews 63% faster for Canon than Fuji, and it built previews for Canon 80% faster than for Sony for smart previews. So Lightroom really likes Canon RAW files. <laughs> There's a difference there. It does a better job with Canon RAW files, and that might go across to other things. Or it's going to be interesting to watch over the other tests that I do how that goes. But uh, and and in this case, Sony was the worst one there by by a good margin. All right, so I. I really wanted to be able to go into more depth on this, like explain why on each of those tests and what was there. But really all that matters is the time. That's that's what it is. And that's not to say the time on your computer is gonna necessarily be the same as these because you have different hardware than I have. What it, It's just the percentages, the ratios, the, 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 diff, the comparison of the storage options. That's what matters. And it's, it's going to cost you some time. We definitely have it. Let's put it all together now, though. Let's talk about it. I, I do have some metrics, by the way, that was important to me. I wanted CPU and memory and GPU, and I wanted that data. What's the maximum uh, megabytes per second read-write between catalog and photos? I have the data captured. It's, it's so time-intensive to go and pull it together. I don't have it ready to share, but I'm going to do that. I'm going to continue working on it. I expect, I'm hoping in the future to release uh, via my phototacopodcast.com website some raw, raw numbers that you can go and download and, and you can uh, check them out if you want uh, to be able to try to make sense of it yourself if, you're, if you've got that skill set and understand it. But for most of you listening, it's just the times there that matter. So I decided to be able to release this information in the episode to be able to talk about that. Let's put it all together. Let's just boil it down now. There was I talked about a lot lot of data there, a lot of information. What are the takeaways that I think you should have from this testing? 
All right, so what I did is I created a, a weighted average, I'll say, I, I wasn't really weighted. I just averaged things out. I, I gave like, if you got a first place finish in the, in the specific combination of cat, where the catalog is and where the photos were, then you got a one. And if you got second place, a two and three. So then the lowest number, the lowest score on average across the four tests would mean you were the winner if you had the lowest number, lowest average. So in order, from last to first, let's go that that order. Bring the the last as the final winner and the drum roll and all that. No, no drum roll. Okay, the worst one, very very predictably, the worst one was the catalogs and the photos on the same external spinning drive. That is the slowest way you can do this. Number five, fifth place was the catalog on an external SSD and the photos on an external spinning drive. So again, the, where the photos are is the most important factor here and having the photos be on an external spinning drive is a slower option. Now, three and four were really close. So I think you can, you can swap them. Um, the actual numbers bore out that the catalog on an external spinning and the photos on an external SSD was fourth place. Um, the fourth slowest, whereas the catalog and the internal SSD and the photos on the external spinning was third place. But I think you can swap those and that still would make more sense than that having your photos stored on an external spinning hard drive is the slowest way to have this go. Totally makes sense, though the slowest kind of disk. Okay, number two was having your catalog on an internal SSD and your photos on an external SSD. And uh, number one, was catalogs and photos on the same external SSD. And it was actually a bigger margin than I thought there. So it was interesting to me that that was better than having your catalog on the internal SSD. And, and organizationally, that's an advantage to have everything on an external SSD drive. Then you can make it like it's transportable from one computer to another. You can just open up the catalog file and it's gonna know where your photos are. And, that's really cool that, that that ended up being the fastest result. I don't think it means that number two with having your internal SSD, having your catalog in the internal SSD and your photos on an external SSD is a bad option. It's really close. It's probably still a really good option. But overall, the takeaway is there is a penalty to in performance for these four functions in Lightroom Classic for having your photos on an external spinning drive. The catalog location is not quite as important, but having your photos on an external spinning drive, that's, it does cost you anything. But is it really how much of a cost? What's How can I boil down the percentage differences or the time differences that we had across these tests? So here's how I'm rationalizing it all together. This is my interpretation of the data. I think Lightroom is about 50% faster if your photos that you're using as you're editing are on an SSD drive versus a spinning drive. For 700 raw files, that meant time-wise, you saved, I saved with my configuration, it took an hour and 14 minutes to do all of those things, all four tests with the slowest option and you save 30 minutes, you, sh you cut 30 minutes off of that time with the fastest option. So that's, that can be meaningful, right? You're, you're going through, you're doing a lot of those functions. Now, if you use, if you truly use the embedded preview workflow and go over to phototacopodcast.com and just search for embedded and you're going to find that, um, then some of these things won't matter because you're not going to build one-to-one -one previews and smart previews for all of your photos. You're not going to go through the develop module. I talk about that too. You should use the library module for calling your photos. It's faster than dev. And so in the end, if you can't afford an SSD drive, because they are dramatically more money, they are significantly more expensive. Um, as long as you use Lightroom the right way, I don't think it's gonna end up costing you nearly that much, not close to 50%. Yeah, there's probably a 10 to 20% difference and it's gonna cost you some time, but it's probably worth it for the budget. Like you can get so much bigger drives for a lot less money with the spinning drives. As long as you do USB 3.0, it's gonna be good enough to be able to do stuff. And especially if you can get yourself to use the embedded preview workflow with Lightroom Classic, that really saves you a ton of time. 
All right, there you go. There's there's how I boil it down and what it comes to. And I hope I answered the question to your satisfaction, Laura. <laughs> I hope that that gives everyone a lot of information to go to. You can find everything Photo Talk related for the show over at phototalkopodcast.com. I talked about that a lot here. Show notes. When I share in the Facebook group, that link that I share, that's the show notes. So if you're wondering where do I find the show notes, go to the Facebook group. You can ask to join that. You can search for Photo Taco Podcast in Facebook. You do have to answer a question and tell me the name of the host. That's Jeff, and I'll let you in. Um, and that's great. There's also links in most of the podcaster players that uh, have links to the show notes. If you click on the the title, like usually it has like a, a description somewhere in a podcast player that talks about the show. And then at the bottom, it says the this show originally showed up at Photo Taco Podcast dot com and it has the name of the show there and that's a link usually it doesn't sometimes they don't make it look like a link but if you click on that it opens up a browser and takes you to the website now i also have over at phototacopodcast.com i have a button in the menu option that says show notes so that should be a really easy way to get there too but really the biggest thing is use the search i've really tried hard to make sure the search is there on mobile and on desktop in an easy spot. You can just search for whatever you want. And I have exhaustive show notes so you can be able to find topics about anything that you want, photography related. Uh, a lot of geeky technical stuff that's out there. You can find my links over in, uh, to like Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and my personal stuff if you are interested in connecting with me there. And I'd love to have your feedback. You can t contact me at phototacopodcast at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you forgive me for failing with the Mac number. <laughs> and uh, you can look forward to more types of testing and information like this. It was really fun going through it. I, I wish that I had just a little more time to share like raw data with you because I, I know I would want that as a listener. Uh, but I, I hope that you, you liked the information that I shared with you. And we'll see you again in another month. Views expressed on this program by independent hosted callers do not necessarily reflect the views of Master Photography Podcast, LLC, or its advertisers. Some links mentioned on this program are affiliate links for permission reserved. Olay!